0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. All right, let's take our Bible and turn back to
1: 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here this evening. This is where we were Sunday morning. I wasn't able to finish Sunday morning's message Sunday morning so I said we'll come back to it Sunday night. We had testimonies concerning the revival that we've just come through and so I wasn't able to deal with it on Sunday night. So here we are Wednesday. We're going to do this one way or the other. And Sunday morning we talked about the perversion of love. The perversion of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read just the first three verses. And then we'll cover the remaining verses here a little bit later in our study. So the perversion of Love, part two. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so as I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing." And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help this preacher again to deliver your word with such clarity and understanding that we would leave here tonight really knowing what it is to love with the agape love of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, for the sake of those who were not here on Sunday, and for the sake of the rest of you, which probably forgot what I preached on, we are going to do just a short review of some of the highlights from Sunday morning, and then we'll continue on with what I believe the Lord would have us to deal with tonight. Now you may remember the Corinthian believers had basically assimilated themselves and integrated themselves into the culture in which they were living. And the reason that they had done this is because they were thinking like the Corinthians. They had picked up the ideas of the Corinthians and the philosophies of the Corinthians and they became very worldly minded. And as I said Sunday, I believe we are in that same type of of situation today as far as the church is concerned. For the most part, the church of Jesus Christ has assimilated itself into the world. We have integrated ourselves into the world. We are thinking like the world. We are acting like the world. We have picked up the philosophies of this world and we have found ourselves very comfortable in the culture in which we live. The Corinthian believers is what I would call today contemporary christians you say well preacher what does it mean to be a contemporary christian well you need to understand what the word contemporary means the word contemporary simply means belonging to the present now we may be in the world but we are not to be what of the world so think about that the corinthian church were contemporary christians The church, for the most part today, at least in America, has become very contemporary, very much a part of this present world. Contemporary means to be modern. It means to be up-to-date. It means to be fashionable. The church is doing its dead-level best to be fashionable, with this world in which we now find ourselves. We try to market ourselves in the same way the world markets itself. We try to organize our ministries in the same way that the world organizes its ministries. We try to have our worship service the same as the entertainment that the world loves. So we have CCM music, contemporary Christian music now the modern the up-to-date the fashionable music you know jesus said this if the world loves you there's something wrong with you in first corinthians chapter 7 and verse 31 Paul addressed that whole concept, that idea that the Corinthian church had of being fashionable, and this is what he said, the fashion of this world passes away. Strong words of condemnation concerning how they were thinking. Paul strongly condemned the worldly thinking of the Corinthians. I quoted several verses on Sunday morning. I'll just mention a couple of them here tonight. He said, for it is written, I, God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to naught the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Is this not true? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? We see that all around us. And then it says this, for after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. He goes on to say, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Now these are just a couple of the verses and you'll find them throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians where Paul condemns the worldly thinking, the worldly philosophy, the worldly ideas that had been picked up by the Corinthians from the culture in which they lived. What does worldly wisdom, what does Corinthian thinking produce? Church, what does it produce? Carnality. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto what? Carnal. Are ye not carnal? The Apostle Paul said to this worldly thinking church. Paul wrote this to the Romans. Are you still with me? He said, because of the carnal mind. Here. Here. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. What kind of mind did the Corinthians have? A carnal mind. Why did they have a carnal mind? Because they had assimilated themselves in the world. They were thinking like the world. They had picked up the philosophies and ideas of the world. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. What does it mean to be at enmity with God? It means to be at war with Him, right? The carnal mind is at war with God. And then he tells us why the carnal mind is at war with God. Think about that. Here was a church that was at war with God. Why? Because of their carnal thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. So they were living out that carnal thinking in their lives. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, Here's why it's an enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. If there's one thing the carnal mind hates, it's the law of God. It hates the commandments of God. I will never forget a person one time came to me and they decided they were going to leave the church, and so of course I said, well, what's, what's wrong? Well, you know, usually people leave the church, it's because of me. I said, why are you leaving the church? And they said, because you teach false doctrine concerning the living the Christian life. I said, well, how am I teaching false doctrine concerning the Christian life? And they said, because you're always emphasizing the importance of keeping the commandments. Hello? Fear God, keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and my commandments will not be grievous. And I'm, I'm just... What would you say about that person if you had to judge that statement? They were carnal in their thinking. Because the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. The way to live the Christian life is to be subject to God's law. Because of this, the Corinthian church was a mess. I'm just gonna list a few of the things as I was just leafing through 1 Corinthians, just kind of speed reading through it. Here are just a few of the things that were going on in this church. They were embracing worldly thinking and philosophy. We've already talked about that. There was envy, strife, and division. They were always fighting and arguing among themselves, some even taking others to court. There was sexual immorality, some really gross sexual immorality going on in this church. They were tolerating false doctrine, and they were believing false doctrine. They were unfaithful, they were poor stewards, they were bringing blame upon the ministry because of their poor testimonies. There was a lack of separation from the world and worldliness. They were greedy and covetous. They were causing other brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble in their faith. They were eating meat offered to idols that was forbidden by the Lord. There was drunkenness going on in the church. Could you imagine that? Drunkenness in the house of the Lord. There was the abuse of the Lord's table. They were defrauding one another. There was divorce and remarriage, pride, selfishness, and self-centeredness. They were turning their liberty in Christ into a license to sin. They were abusing spiritual gifts. They weren't tithing and giving to the Lord's work. They would honor the rich and despise the poor. Women had taken over leadership in the church. And Paul's pastoral apostolic authority was under question. And his message, for the most part, was rejected by this church. As you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul is continually defending his authority as an apostle and as a pastor over this church. Just let me read to you a couple of passages. He said, am I not an apostle? They're saying, no, we don't need to listen to Paul. He's not one of the apostles. He said, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not my work in the Lord? Who founded and established this church in the first place? The apostle Paul. He was the founder. He said, if I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am to you. For the seal of my apostleship are ye in the Lord. My answer to them that do examine me is this. And he takes almost the rest of the chapter to defend his apostleship. He said, being reviled, this church reviled him. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we we suffer it. Who is he being persecuted from? By the church. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made the filth of the world and are an off of all things unto this day. He said, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And this is just a couple places where he says things very similar to this. The reason the Corinthian church was in such a mess spiritually was because of their Corinthian thinking. And what their Corinthian thinking had done is completely perverted their concept and their understanding of love. The Corinthian culture had gotten into them and their view of life had become Corinthianized. Thus they rejected Paul. I'm going to tell you something, they despised this man. And they rejected his words of exhortation. And they labeled the Apostle Paul, their founder, their pastor, the Apostle, they labeled him as unloving. What did Jesus teach us was the greatest commandment? To love the Lord with all of our heart. The second is like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Paul said in the end of chapter 13, now abideth faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is what? Okay. If the greatest commandment is to love God and love one another, and if the greatest of virtues is love, do you see how Satan would want to take that idea of love and pervert it in our minds? To make us think that love is something completely different? than what God says it is? If I were to ask you, would you please come up here and give us a biblical definition of love, what would you say? How would you define it biblically? Well, the world tells us that love is just, you know, you just have to be tolerant of everybody. Right? you notice how the world is tolerant of everybody except Christians. But you just got to be tolerant of everybody, you just got to accept everybody, you just got to embrace everybody, it doesn't make any difference how they live or conduct themselves. You need to, um, uh, the world says that you need to be acceptant, just just accept everybody. You need to be non-judgmental. Do you know the Bible says judge with righteous judgment? the world says, you know, to love one another you've got to be without criticism and condemnation of any kind. They see love as a sexual attraction, a romantic relationship. In my opinion, the world's view of love has become so perverted that it's become soft, syrupy, and sensual. I thought about getting a bottle of syrup and just kind of... I do not want to make a mess up here in the pulpit. Because we have defined love, instead of allowing the one who created it and the one who is love to define it, our understanding has become perverted. And so now we're in a culture that says, well, if you love one another you should have the right to marry even if you're of the same sex. I'm here to tell you, that is not love, that is perversion. For even the men did exchange the natural use of the woman into that which is against nature. And so likewise did the women. And the Bible says, And they burned in their lust one towards another. Men working with men, that which is unseemly. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which is meat. That is not love. That is perversion. But what does the world today call it? They call it love. And is is it now being accepted in our churches? Not only being accepted, it's being taught. That this is biblical love. This is not biblical love. God is love. John affirms this. Love can only be defined by the very nature of God Himself. God is not merely love, He is love. Everything that God does, He does out of love. Now does the Bible speak anywhere about the wrath of God? You know something? You check me out. The Bible talks more about the wrath of God than the love of God. The Bible talks more about the righteous judgments of God than it does the love of God. You know, the doctrine, I'll call it the doctrine of the wrath of God, has fallen upon hard times today. You don't hear the doctrine of the wrath of God being preached in our churches. You don't hear the teaching about the righteous judgment of God today in our churches. Is the world's concept of God a God of wrath? No. How does the world view God? Love. Now, is God love? Yes, he is. But is he also wrath? Is he also judgment? Is he also holy? Is he also righteous? Yet everything he does, he does out of love. But this concept of the wrath of God, it upsets most modern-day Christians. Let me ask you: Why does it upset them so? Because that's not their understanding of love. So who has shaped their understanding of love? The world has, not the Bible. They say no, a God of wrath is an intolerant God, and. And we don't accept a God like that. That's a God that's too harsh and and unloving. And we can't even think of God being like that. I'm going to tell you something. We can't make God out to who we want Him to be. God is who He is. The Bible said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Say it with me. But the wrath of God abideth upon him. Just prior to the the discussion of sodomy, homosexuality, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You talk about fake news, go to the world. They hold, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why does the doctrine of the wrath of God and the judgment of God upset us so? Because we don't understand love. I believe that God's wrath is his love in action against sin. I'm going to say that again. His wrath, his judgment is his love in action against sin. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a what? Living God. Why is it a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Because He is righteous and He hates sin. All of God's righteous judgments are simply His love in action against sin. So when I preach about the judgments of God, when I preach about the righteousness of God, when I preach about the wrath of God, what am I really preaching about? The love of God. But you see, we don't see it that way. Just like the Corinthians, they didn't see it that way. Why didn't they see it that way? Because they were listening to the definition of love from the world. David understood this very well. In Psalm 51, listen to what he said. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy lovingkindness, according to the multitude of Thy tender mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before thee. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest, and clear when thou judgest. Isn't it interesting that in this Same passage within these just these few verses, he talks about the loving kindness of God, the tender mercies of God, but then he talks about the judgment of God upon his sin. It was a loving thing for God to bring judgment on David's sin. Give me an amen. God is love. You know what? Jesus is love, too. You know why Jesus is love? Because Jesus is God. Thou, being a man, makest thyself out to be God. And they took up stones to stone him because that was a blasphemous statement. But Jesus was God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want you to think about this for a moment. From Jesus picking up those precious little children and sitting them on his lap and ministering to them and talking to them and praying with them and blessing them. Remember how upset the disciples got that he was wasting his time with children. From the Lord Jesus blessing those little children to his cleansing of the temple. I'm here to tell you both of those actions were actions of love. Now they seem totally opposite. The loving on little children and the turning over of the tables of the money changers and the driving them out of the temple with a whip and saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. It was just as loving for him to bless the children as it was for him to cleanse his temple. Everything Jesus did, he did in love. Was Paul, was he motivated by love when he wrote these, I'll call them scathing epistles? Was he loving to rebuke his people so strongly and so harshly? He was harsh. Remember Sunday I mentioned he even said my letters were rude and offensive. When he called them carnal babies, when he said you're puffed up, when he called them foolish and ignorant, when he said you are fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, you are effeminate, You are thieves, you are covetous, you're railers, you're extortioners. And he was on and on. And then he says, I speak this to your shame. Can I tell you, that was not politically correct. But was that loving? Let I me mean, ask you, does that sound loving to you? No. Why doesn't that sound loving to you? Because we've all kind of bought in to the world's idea of love. That's why so many people get offended so easily. Can I tell you something? Get over it. I like what the preacher said last night. Put on your big boy pants and get over it. Do you see how affected we have become? Soft, syrupy. Did Paul love these people? Please, stay with me here. Listen to these words. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. So as he was writing this epistle, what was he doing? He's weeping. He's weeping over the things that he is writing. Knowing who he's writing them to. Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly for you. They were saying, Paul doesn't love us. Look how mean spirited he is. Look at how negative he is. He doesn't accept us. He's being intolerant with us. He said, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved by you. You know what? I know some preachers that feel that way about their church. And then he ends his epistle by saying, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Young people, you listen to me. If your parents love you, they're going to chasten you. They are going to discipline you and they're not going to let you do the things that you want to do. And you may think my parents are so mean. My parents are so harsh. My parents are so unloving. They're, they don't let me have a car. They don't let me have a cell phone. They don't let me dress the way that I want to live and have the boyfriends that I want to have or the girlfriends that I want to have. I want to tell you something. You ought to be thankful that you've got parents that love you. Parents that will whip your butt when your butt needs whooping. Amen. See, why do our young people think that way? Because they've been Corinthianized. They're saying, well, if my parents love me, my parents are just going to let me do what I want to do. And they're not going to make me have a curfew. And they're not going to make me have a chaperone. And they're not going to choose my friends. And I'm going to tell you, parents who are like that don't love their kids. God has demonstrated his love to us through his son, the Lord Jesus. And God wants to demonstrate Jesus' love through us to one another. He wants us to be channels of that love, but I'm here to tell you we better understand what that love is. And we better appreciate that love when someone loves us with this agape love of Christ. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifest, the love of God towards us, because God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him, here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. You see, God has shed abroad His love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit which He has given to us. Now, church, listen to me. We are incapable of loving each other with the kind of love that Paul describes here. And what Paul was doing as he writes this dissertation on love out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he was confronting their misconceptions about love. No, you're all wrong. This is what love really is. Love as I have loved you. The Corinthians had become so perverted in their love, so misdirected, that when there was a man living, are you all listening? There was a man, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 living with his mother, in incest. I want to tell you something, that's gross immorality. That's about as twisted and perverted as you could become. I can't even imagine that taking place in our church. But the Bible said they weren't grieved over it, they never mourned over it, they never confronted him over it. It said they were very puffed up over it and accepted that kind of behavior in their church. He said, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? And that's when he said, you get that man out of your church and deliver him unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why were they not dealing with this? Why did they not see this as gross immorality? Because they had become what? Corinthianized. I shared this with you on Sunday. I really see my major ministry now, in these latter days, I see it as confronting Corinthian thinking. Now I want to tell you something, we have a good church. We have a good, solid, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, mature believers in our church. Our church is very uncommon. Very uncommon. But even within this good church of ours, I'm constantly confronting Corinthian thinking. Ask you why? Do you know what I'm dealing with? I'm dealing with a humanistic educational system. I am dealing with social media. I am dealing with the internet. I'm dealing with other carnal people who try to speak into your life and lead you in a wrong direction. And you know what I have? I have an hour or two Every week. That's it. I have an hour or two every week to try to confront all this Corinthian thinking. You know what the test of true biblical love is? That we love even when we don't feel like it. If you love those who love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, ye shall be perfect just as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You love even when you don't feel like it. That is the true test of love. love. Love, love, has specific demonstrations that come forth in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. So let's now go, as we close, let's now go to the remainder of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Charity suffereth long, verse 4, and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Charity never, what? But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues... They shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, and I believe that's the word of God, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away away childish things. Stop thinking like the world. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face there is a day of accountability coming. Now we know in part, but then shall we be known even as we are known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity." I want to finish by giving a breakdown. I came across this the other day and I thought it was good. It's just a description of each of the aspects of love, so listen as I read. Love is long-suffering, it is patient. Love bears the pain of criticism and rejection without complaint, shows forbearance under provocation, and is steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, adversity, suffering, and pain. Love is kind. Even when you are mistreated and want to retaliate physically or tear another person down with your words, love is sympathetic, it's compassionate, it's gentle, and it's agreeable. Love is not envious, it's not jealous. Especially when you are aware that others are being noticed and you're being overlooked. Love does not participate in acts of hostility towards one who enjoys more privileges in life than you do or has more than you do, or has advantage over you, is smarter than you, better looking than you, more popular than you, is more wealthy than you, love works for the welfare and good of the other person. Love vaunteth not itself. It doesn't brag. Even when you want to tell the world about your accomplishments, love does not flaunt itself. It does not boast or brag and does not engage in self-glorification. Instead, love lifts up builds up others and praises others and never praises itself. Love is not puffed up, it's not arrogant even when you know you're right and the other person is wrong. Love does not behave itself unseemly, it doesn't act unbecomingly even when Being boastful or forceful will allow you to get the attention of others and allow you to get your own way. Love conforms to what is right, fitting, appropriate in the situation in order to honor the Lord. Love does not seek its own. Biblical love is not selfish and self-centered or self-seeking. True love does not try to fill its own desires, does not demand its own way, does not try to acquire gain for self. Love is an act of the will which seeks to serve and not be served. Love is not easily provoked. Even when others attempt to provoke you and you are tempted to strike out at them, love refrains. Love is not aroused or enticed by outbursts of anger. Love thinketh no evil. It does not take into account wrongs suffered. Even, excuse me, even when everyone seems to be against you or when people openly attack you, love does not hold a grudge against that person. Love forgives. It chooses not to bring up past wrongs and accusations and retaliations. It does not return evil for evil. It does not indulge itself in self-pity. It does not spread slander and gossip and evil reports, but love covers a multitude of sins. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love hates sin. You with me folks? Love hates sin. Love mourns over sin and its effect on people. It does not involve itself in sinful practices and it does not become a stumbling block to others. Love speaks the truth into people's lives even when they don't want to hear it. Love rejoices in the truth. Even when it is easier and more profitable to lie, love clings to the truth. Even when it may lead to adverse consequences, reviling and yes, even persecution, Love is joyful when the truth is made known and it seeks to embrace the truth. Love loves the preaching and teaching of the truth. Love bears all things. Even when disappointment seems overwhelming, love bears with those who are difficult to understand and deal with. Love has an eternal perspective on difficulties. Love remembers that God develops faith and spiritual maturity through the difficult circumstances of life. Love believes all things. Even when others' actions make you feel like not trusting them, love believes another person's words until the facts prove otherwise. Love is careful not to judge another person's motives. If the facts prove the other person has lied and is untrustworthy, love seeks to help restore that person to truthfulness. Love hopes all things, even when nothing appears to be going right. Love anticipates the fulfillment of God's plan and hopes for the best. Love confidently entrusts self and others to the Lord praying for God's sovereign and perfect will to be done in their lives. Love endures all things. This is one of the hardest practices, especially when you think you just can't endure the person or the circumstances anymore in your life. Love remains steadfast under suffering and hardship without yielding and returns good for evil while undergoing suffering. Love never fails. Even when you feel overwhelmed and the situation seems hopeless, love will not crumble under pressure or difficulties. Love remains selfless, faithful, and loyal, even to the point of death. God is telling us that charity, which is true biblical love, does not fail. Relationships based on emotions will fail. But those based on true biblical love never will. The next time you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, how about reading it this way? And I'm going to put my name in the place of charity. Dan suffers long, Dan is kind, Dan envieth not, Dan vaunteth not himself, Dan is not puffed up. Dan does not behave himself unseemly, Dan seeketh not his own, Dan is not easily provoked, Dan thinketh no evil. Dan rejoiceth not in iniquity, but Dan rejoiceth in the truth. Dan believeth all things, Dan hopeth all things, Dan endureth all things, Dan's love. Never fails. Do you think this preacher just came under conviction? What about you? You know, the church today is a feel-good church. Let's just all come and feel good. We've made it a feel-good religion that appeals to self and the fulfillment of the flesh. I'm going to tell you something when you put your name in there for love, you don't come out of there feeling pretty good. You come out of there saying, I need to start abiding in Christ. I need to start asking the Holy Spirit to fill me and control me. And I need to get my sin confessed and my conscience clear. and I need to live a life submitted to the Lord and to His commandments because I can't love like this. Only Christ
0: can love like this through me. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you.